Layman's is proud to sponsor Self-Sufficient Life. From time-tested garden tools to nostalgic homestead decor, Layman's can help you enjoy the self-sufficient life. Find Layman's online at lehmans.com. How can a modern homesteader expect to achieve personal privacy in this digital age? Hey, it's Tim Young of the TheSelfSufficientLife.com, and today Liz and I discuss the homestead we settled on and the steps we took to live a private, self-sufficient life. Well, welcome back to the podcast, sweetie. How was your Christmas? Wonderful. And how was yours? Well, it was awesome. You know that. What makes a wonderful Christmas for you? Um, we just did so many things together as a family that just got us into happy holiday season spirit. And then we got awesome presents. Oh, you like all that Victoria's Secret stuff I bought you? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> the Victoria's Secret Homesteaders Collection. <laughs> no, I got the best Christmas present ever. Which was what? You made me the most amazing trail through the woods. And on the way, we got to stop and see fairy houses. And you built a picnic table at the bottom of a hill. And then when you got to the top of the hill, you built a whole campsite with like a shelter and a table and a campfire. Hmm. And it's just amazing. And I want to walk it every day and I might move out there. You hear that, guys? That's how you are a man. You build fairy houses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but Maisie is just amazed by it. Yeah. So I spent about a week using, uh, I started, you know, it was just going through the woods. There was nothing there. So I just took this uh, big old rake, uh, called him a cloud. It's like a hay, it's like a trail rake and just chopped my way through and then went through with loppers and pruners and some chainsaw work where I needed and uh, all that kind of stuff. Made about, I don't know, it's about a quarter mile trail. It's not the longest trail in the world, you know, but it's it seems a lot longer when you're going up and down hills in the woods trying to get all those leaves and sticks out of the way. And then we uh, found anytime there was a place where there was a hole in the tree, there's a great opportunity for fairies to visit. We did that. We built a picnic table for you, built that in the middle of the woods so that uh, you can stop for a picnic from time to time. And then the survival shelter area you're talking about, you know, you and I both are really interested in bushcrafting and getting into that this year and making your own survival shelters and making uh, cordages and you know, just improving those kind of skills. And so I was thinking if we set up a permanent area, we'll be motivated to go out and do that. And I am. Well, let's get to it. Why are we in here podcasting? <laughs> and we could know. be outside making a I shelter. I want to go outside. <laughs> All right. So, you know, the last episode, we talked to everybody about, you know, why we were making a life change. Um, although I'm not sure it looks like a life change to them, but we know we had farmed before and we wanted to move away from that farming life to more of a homesteading life and to retreat. So we gave some of the reasons why we wanted to get out of that life, and we talked about the criteria we established for the general location we wanted to go and the specific property criteria. But what happened? Did we find anything? Well, we found something. It certainly didn't meet all of our criteria. I guess we had too much, um, or there just aren't places around like that anymore. But we found something that works, and we can make it what we want. Yeah, so let's let's talk about what we found and. And let's talk about, you know, where we made sacrifices or concessions and why we were willing to do that. So we found a property that, you know, met the size we were looking for between 50 and 75 acres. Um, And the thing about that is uh, there's only about four or five acres that are open. They're they're pasture now. We're making them pasture. They were really more lawn before Um, the prior owner was mowing them uh, with a, you know, tractor and keeping it looking nice and everything. 
um, but it sets up nice for grazing for a few animals. So it's the right size that we want because we want to have some pastured animals out there, but we don't want to have 80 acres to maintain and hay and all that kind of stuff. What about, what about the house? And it gives us a good buffer of woods around us, which we really wanted. Yeah, because we have, you know, a lot of woods around us, a lot of hunting and all that stuff. So the property, you know, size is right for us and the amount of pasture is right. So what about the house? The house is certainly the right size, too. It's uh, between 1,800 and 2,500 square feet. And that's just about the size that we were looking for because we spend so much time at home, you know, working from home, schooling from home, that we feel like we need a number of different rooms. And so it had enough bedrooms, but even though we only have one child, we're able to turn, you know, one bedroom into an office, another room into a schoolroom, blah, blah, blah. And the one thing that we liked about this house was that it actually had a decent sized kitchen. Hmm. I mean, we could not find a house that had a big kitchen. And this one's not huge by any means, but it's enough. It's a decent size. Um, Other than that, the house was not really laid out in a way that we would use it, but we were able to turn it into what we wanted. So like you had mentioned before, there was a large walk-in closet that we could turn into a pantry. And we'll talk more about that later. But, you know, when we initially walked into the house, we weren't like, oh my gosh, this is just what we were looking for. But as we walked through, we said, hey, this could work. Yeah, it was just your typical house, right? I mean, it's what you think about when you think about anybody's typical house. But when you walk into a typical house with the eyes of a homesteader, you know, you think about, well, how could I repurpose this? I mean, we did talk about this last episode. We don't have a lot of clothes. We don't think about those kind of things. But where can we make this house functional for homeschooling, for food preservation? Um, and just for, I guess the biggest issue that you said last time is that makes us different from most people is we spend all of our time at home. I mean, all the time. Every day of the week, we're, we're all three here. And most people have a house that is there a place to reconvene at night after work or after school or something. But our daughter doesn't go to school outside the house and neither one of us go to work away. So we needed a house that was comfortable for us to be in at all times. Right. And, you know, the aesthetics of the house, I mean, they weren't the most important thing to us, but we do care a bit about, you know, does our environment look the way that we want it to and stuff. And this one certainly did not. Everything was white and it was like white carpet. and. You know, there was no charm or anything to it, but all of that cosmetic stuff, we feel like we can change that. And so we've done our own little things, um, you know, to make it the way that we want. Like you um, built a bookcase and you built a desk and stuff and we painted it to look like old barn wood. And, you know, we use things like um, tree stumps and things for decorating. Yeah, honey, we do all those things and we make it look rustic. And then you look up and there's a popcorn ceiling in every room. And it's like, dude, this is not 1978. <laughs> you know, what? what is it with popcorn ceilings and stuff? And, and as you try to take that stuff down, it's an absolute mess. Yeah, but, you know, we did a lot of painting and we painted all the walls, you know, our earth tone colors and stuff that we wanted. And we took all that white trim that we hated and we painted it, I don't know, dark green and brown. So it looks more like a farmhouse now, the style that we want. So it's comfortable for me anyway. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I don't think you care, but... <laughs> no, it is... Well, of course I care a little bit, but I mean, I care more about the fact that it was two by six construction. It was very tight. It's very well insulated. Um, the, we didn't get a, a basement, which I really hate. I don't know why so many houses don't have basements. It drives me crazy uh, because, you know, again, you could really use a basement to put a wood stove in and, and channel that heat through your house or to um, use it for pantry and all kinds of storage. But it had a great crawl space, great in the form that it was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty good amount of headroom in there and just very well made, a good base in there. 
um, nice and clean, well insulated on the on the bottom. So the house doesn't require a lot of energy, which was one of the things that we really required as well. And it's got perfect southern exposure. I mean, so the house is facing you know almost exactly due south, which lends itself to any kind of solar investments that we want to make. And there's a huge front porch, which um, we appreciate because it's like a whole nother room for us. We like to spend a lot of time outside, and so that's a place where we can eat and play. But the thing that we hate about it is that the house is set way off the road, but it's not far enough for us because for some reason they cleared like a strip in front, I guess for a beautiful view, because that's where they were mowing the lawn and everything that we now have pasture. But it also opens the view right up to the road. So when you're sitting on that huge front porch, every now and then you can see a car drive by, which is so foreign to us. Yeah, it's far enough off the road. It's just that they made the driveway straight. And had they curved the driveway around where you don't have visibility from the front road, then it'd be fine because we're a quarter of a mile from, you know, the paved road or whatever. So it's not like we're right on it or anything, but you're totally right. I mean, every now and then you can only see a car for like, 20 feet that's that's the only visibility they have but it's like we've never we haven't seen that in 10 years yeah it's really strange so yeah and the property has you know a real nice well so we get well water i'll talk about that for a second too because you know the well water was only like five gallons a minute and you know where we moved from we had three wells before actually uh two of them were 45 gallons a minute and one of them was 100 gallons a minute um so we had really great well water availability on our farm before and uh, we had to get really comfortable with that five gallons a minute but that's very normal particularly if you're going to look anywhere I was surprised but if you look anywhere where it's um, more mountainous or uh, those kind of areas that we looked a lot in uh, you tend to find deeper wells with not nearly the volume of water produced that we had on the farm um, before. Yeah, and there are streams on the property, but you had to give up your gravity-fed water because all of those streams and springs are below the house, and that was really hard for you to give up. That yeah. was something very important for you. It was, and I hated giving it. We both gave up some things that we wanted, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You find, you know, we'll, we'll talk later about what our overall objective is for our homestead life, and when you balance that overall objective, that allows you to decide, well, where are you going to pick and choose. But we gave up on that. We do have some streams. They're not like, hey, it's nothing Mississippi. There's not catfish jumping or anything, you know, but there's trickling streams and there's a few of them. And they always flow. They always flow. And we found a couple of good springs. And when you drive around here within a half mile, you see other spring boxes that have been developed on other people's land. So you know there's springs around here. So that was good too. Um, but what about what about the yard? What else did we find here? Well, one of the biggest selling features for us was that there were tons of fruit trees. So the fruit trees were originally planted to attract deer. Um, I don't think that the <laughs> the people that lived here before ever even ate the fruit or anything. They no. really just wanted them because they like to hunt. Um, but for us, it's fantastic because there was a whole orchard of right. mature fruit trees. Yeah, we had, um, there are 21 fruit trees, seven peach and 14 apple um, in the back. And then back in a little food plot area beyond that, there's a couple of other apple trees and stuff like that. So... These are all maybe seven years old, it looks like, seven, eight years old. So they're established, um, and they've been pretty well maintained. They were pruned really well. So you could tell that the property owner was taking care of the land. Uh, so that was nice. The land was uh, sloping in most areas, which I really like. Um, 
you know, for a lot of reasons, for one of which, uh, if it snows, I want to go sledding. Yes, can't wait. Yeah, so I'm hoping to. But, <laughs> but we, it, was, it was sloping, but there was some flat areas, too. There was plenty of space to put in a garden. Yeah, and, and the garden area was in the back of the house, uh, between the house and the fruit trees. So we were able to visualize, you know, we could fence in that area and keep the deer out of those fruit trees and put a garden there. And that'll make it all very convenient. And before, you know, everything wasn't as convenient for us. We had a big orchard before. We had way more than 21 fruit trees. But, you know, they were, you know, I don't know, you know, 300 yards away from the house and from the garden and everything. And, and so we had to have multiple fenced areas right. for all of that. And the thing about this land is that it was never used for farming or homesteading or, I mean, there were no animals or gardens or anything here. It was pretty much just a house, um, you know, with grass that was mowed and the owner liked to hunt. So there were some food plots and things. But because there was no fencing or no outbuildings, then we didn't have to worry about taking any of that down or cleaning any of that up or moving it. And we could just start from scratch and we could see how we could just put up, you know, one fence around the yard to kind of keep all of our most valuable things in. It's always amazing, isn't it? All these houses we see where there's no gardens at all. I mean, it wouldn't have added any value to us if he had a, or that had a garden before. But you know, why didn't he garden? I mean, he's got a beautiful place for it. Gosh, we looked at so many houses. And all of the houses that we looked at were like rural country houses, you know. And I don't, I mean, I could count on one hand how many had a garden or there were maybe two that had a chicken coop. I, yeah, mean, I mean, it's just not found. I mean, but even if you live in the city or whatever, I mean, seeds are cheap. It's easy to have pots and do some minor gardening. I mean, you get some food, you practice some skills, you know, it's free food, dude. I mean, it's some of those things that you buy in the store, like herbs and stuff are super expensive and so easy to grow, but crazy that people don't even do at least micro gardening or something. But like you said, there was no fencing here, no farming history on the land, no outbuildings. There were numerous hunting stands already built. Some of them, I mean, really nice. Uh, you know, one was really nice, a big box blind uh, that was uh, elevated and, you know, glass windows and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, it's like a man cave or something like that. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, a few other tree stands that are already up. And there's we've got six stands on the property now, so it's all set up for hunting. But, you know, one of the things that really frustrated, we had to give up on something that we really wanted that, you know, this house doesn't set up for. And we weren't 100% convinced we were going to have to give up on it when we purchased the house. We really wanted a wood stove. We wanted to heat with wood. And um, we just couldn't find a house that worked for us that had a wood stove. But we looked at this one and we said, you know, I think maybe we could add one. And we were really hopeful, but I think we were just kidding ourselves because since we've been here, we've put a lot of thought into it. We've even had people come out and, you know, look at us and look at it and they all say, you know, it's just not going to do what you want to do. The house is not set up for the heat to flow through and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's it's not boxy, but it is boxy, if you know what I mean. I mean, so when you got upstairs and you got boxes and having a wood stove downstairs and getting that heat distributed, it just, you know, it's just not going to work. And, and plus, you know, you know, when you have, um, you know, upstairs, um, and you have to then run a pipe way up high to be able to get uh, the draw you need over the roof to, to be in code. I mean, you're spending thousands of dollars on installation and your materials to get the pipe to do that. And it's like, well, okay, maybe we should look at something else like doing an outside wood boiler, um, which we've debated over the years as well, which have their own pros and cons. And you tie that into your HVAC and, um, you know, use your fans to distribute the heat. You know, but then you got to, you know, make sure you got the energy to run the, ha the fans at all time and you're always out there filling that thing up. So, And we thought that we'd be able to harvest wood off of our land because we have right. so many woods around us. But when we've walked the land and really gotten to see what's here, it's almost all trees that are not 
the best for burning. Right, right, right. You know, before we had a lot of red oak and white oak um, and elm, and we had some really good hard trees before that that burns slowly and efficiently and put out a lot of BTUs. And we have less of the, that kind of wood lot here. We have great woods for, you know, for hunting and we have great woods for, you know, construction and making lumber and those kind of things, but not as much for, you know, the wood. And so if you can end up buying wood anyway, it's like, uh, I don't know. So, you know, now we're turning more towards solar, which we've had a passion for solar for some time. But even that, you know, you get into, um, and we'll talk about this on future episodes, but, you know, solar, you know, th- there's not really a good payback. And unless you're lucky enough to be in a state with great incentives, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a long-term payback on that. Right. So, you know, we gave up on a couple of important things, but um, the location is good. It's exactly what we wanted. It's about an hour to a decent-sized town. But then there's it's about a half hour to a small town that has a, a hospital, grocery store, and that kind of stuff. And a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah. A Chick-fil-A is the place you go to have a play date. <laughs> you, you take your kid <laughs> there. They have the, They have the best play area. And you say, hey, kid, go out there and meet someone. And sometimes we meet someone. And it's awesome. We were nowhere within an hour of a Chick-fil-A before. Right. <laughs> Where was that close? I guess it was an hour away before. It was in South Carolina or something like that. You know, and the area, too, you know, also seems to have, it definitely has a homeschool culture and it has a homesteading culture. I mean, what I mean by that is if you tell somebody, hey, I'm raising, you know, we raise some pigs, we raise some rabbits and sheep, we kind of take care of ourselves. They go, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, we, you know, so we know someone who does that or we do some of that or my granddad did that or whatever. But they don't look at you like you're a freak. Right. <laughs> And the homeschool environment, there we found a couple of homeschool groups and other families that homeschool. Um, so although we, we aren't taking complete advantage of that right now because our daughter's only four, we can see that in the future there's going to be some opportunities. So not to call either one of us out here, but just to try to accurately describe this, I'm, I'm a pretty definitive decision maker. I can look at something and make a decision. Whether it's right or wrong, I can be decisive. You like to I'm analyze. Not. Yeah, you. I was like, we've been looking for two years. I'm tired of this. This right. works, right? Right, right. You analyze, and you're not sure, and you're not comfortable, and then you say to me, "What do you think? Should we do this? Whatever." So you will do anything to avoid making a decision. <laughs> but so at the end, though, we gave we we just said we gave up on things, and we like things. So why was this the right place? From your point of view, is it because you were just tired of looking? <laughs> <laughs> and you said, next place we look at, that's it. I feel like we had exhausted everything. I mean, we had looked at so many places and nothing even came close to what we were looking for. And this one, although it was not perfect, it came close in so many respects that mm. I felt comfortable enough giving up some of the important things because I felt like, you know, we were gaining a lot of what we wanted. Yeah, it was private. It wasn't as private as we wanted, but it was private enough. It had a nice amount of open land, and that was important to us, and we were surrounded by, by a woodlot buffer. Um, the house wasn't at all what we were looking for. I think that we had fantasized about, like, a log cabin or something like that before. Is that what you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's kind of what you think, and this is the opposite of that. Um, but the house works functionally for us, so I think that was good. We wanted gravity water. We settled for a well with springs. Um, you know, and I think the most important thing that kind of threw us in this direction was when we got a sense of the area we felt like the culture would be, you know, similar to what we were looking for. It doesn't mean that, you know, our neighbors are like us at all because they are not. Um, but there are people around here who are like us, and we were able to get signs of like-minded people around. 
And I guess we'll and talk it, about that it's later. It's strange because, I mean, we're not, you know, that sociable, I guess, that it's very <laughs> important to us. I mean, we do kind of keep to ourselves. But the fact that, you know, when we are out in the yard, we hear um, people firing their guns, you know, like target <laughs> practice and stuff to us. That's like, OK, that's home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, and there's a, everybody fires guns around here at mm-hmm. all hours of the day. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Um, so when we're out there shooting at the range or whatever, making our own range, then, then we don't sound weird. So I guess those are the reasons that this was the right location for us. So now we're settled in. We've been here for some time. Why don't we come back in a minute and start the process of sharing what our overall objective is for our homestead life and then how we're setting up the property. Okay. Hey, it's Tim Young. When my wife and I moved to the country, layman's.com was one of our first stops. That's where we found the oil lamps, canning supplies, hand crank grain mills, wood cooking stoves, even the emergency supplies that we depend on. Founded in the 1950s, Layman started as a hardware store serving the Amish in Kidron, Ohio. Today, Layman specializes in practical, non-electric goods that will help you live the simpler life you're craving. So even if you work in the city, you can still be a modern homesteader. And Layman's has the nostalgic and practical home decor and kitchen appliances you're looking for. So whether you're looking for time-tested farm and garden tools or off-grid stove and appliances, Layman's has the high-quality products that every farmer, modern homesteader, and prepared person needs. Layman's for a simpler life. Find them at laymans.com. That's L-E-H-M-A-N-S dot com. So, you know, I think that we can describe our objective as simply as this. We just want to live our life as freely as possible. What do you think? Yeah, I think that, I think that sums it up. I mean... I mean, I, I mean, it sounds simple, but not everybody wants to do that. I mean, some people have career ambitions, right? Or they want to go out and achieve great things or make a lot of money or whatever. But I think for us, what we really value, what makes us the happiest is to be as free as possible to do what we want when we want with our time. I guess. I mean, I guess everyone has a different idea of what free is to them. You know, I mean, some people think making a lot of money makes them free because then they can afford to do the things they want. But Mm. um, for us, I think you're right. Just to be able to spend our time the way that we want to living our lives for us and no one else. Okay, so we knew we wanted to have, you know, our objectives for our homestead life were to, you know, be as free as possible, to have as much free time as possible. I don't know, that that doesn't mean, you know, that we sit around all day long and we have free time. I mean, we're this is work doing the podcast in a sense, and, you know, we do do some work like this. Um, but I guess we feel like we're in control of that time. and We know, can work when we want to we work, work when we and how work. we want to work. And do what we want to do. Yes. And choose the kind of work. I mean, if, you want, if we want to make money from homesteading and you want to make money selling livestock, we could choose to do that. If you want to make money doing skills classes, which we've done before, you could choose to do that. But we'll talk about why we don't want to do that, you know, as we go along through this episode. If you wanted to do freelance writing or do any kind of other freelance work from home or have an online business, you can, you're free to make those choices as well. And if you want a podcast in your pajamas, which <laughs> you're not today, I'm very proud of you, but yeah. you could do it if you wanted to. I know. I've already had to go out and do some work. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I've got blue jeans on today. Um, you know, the other objective we had, one other objective for our homestead was we wanted a property with a lot less maintenance. And I think what we just described a second ago for what we found We've got that. It's a lot less property to maintain. We learned a lot of lessons from the last place that you need to. I, I think we needed to have that experience under our belts in order to come to this place and say, look, we're just going to take a few weeks and look around the land and live here and, you know, 
see what happens when different weather comes, you know, where the water pools and, you know, mm. how we use the land and stuff before we start doing anything because we wanted to have a real overall plan before we just start throwing up, okay, here's a fence for the cows, here's a spot for the garden. We wanted it to be all cohesive. Right. You know what else is under our belts? Look at all these Christmas cookies and eggnog bulging out right here. <laughs> Check out this roll. <laughs> I know you can't see that at home and I know you want to, but there'll be no picture coming. Okay, so we also wanted time to develop skills that we're interested in. I mean, so what's an example of that? Well, um, I... I'm very interested in herbal medicine, and so I want time to be able to uh, have my own medicinal garden and take care of that and make my own remedies and research them and wander in the woods and find out what resources are around me. Um, also, uh, we're really interested in bushcrafting, like you said, so we want a time to go out and just, you know, spend time in the woods and try to start a fire out of nothing or, right. you know, get some water from the stream and figure out how to purify it for uh, ourselves to drink or right. anything like that where it's just something that we're interested in, but it just kind of takes time to learn and time to practice. We want the freedom to be able to do that. Yeah. And we're not talking about purifying water with a big Berkey or something like that. We're talking about going out there and putting the water, making a sand filter or, you know, making things ourselves or you know building a fire which we know how to do but building it when it's completely damp and wet you know and these aren't necessarily skills that you know all of us are going to run into tomorrow but you know aren't aren't i'm sure there's people out there who you know yeah i'd like to know that too um and not just that i mean they're not just wilderness skills but we wanted to do more building and gosh i don't want to do any more building right now we'll talk about why later i've built so many things in the past year but the ability to harvest our own materials and make things from the land I know you do a fair amount of that, and particularly as it relates to homeschooling. You make a lot of those kind of things. So we wanted more times to practice that stuff and do that. And of course, all that means that we're doing that together. So we're spending time together as a family. And that's that was, you know, one of our main criterion in what we wanted in a homestead life. Right. We had really gotten to the point um, on our previous farm where our lives are sort of separate. And that's not what we moved out there for. That's not what we wanted to do. And it was so important for us to raise our daughter in the midst of our life, you know, just living and doing these things that we do and having her grow up just thinking of those as, you know, second nature, it's just what you do. And if one of us has to be in the house watching her while the other one's out milking the cows or making a cheese or something, she didn't get to be a part of that. So when, now that we're doing it just for ourselves and just, you know, for homesteading on our own schedule and our own pace, she can be right there with us learning as we go. Yeah, and part of living freely as possible is to at least have the ability and the freedom to do some travel, you know, if you want to. But, you know, what do you want to do? What 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 kind of things are you interested in? The kind of travel I'm interested in is things just, um, you know, really to expose Maisie to. So traveling around the national parks and showing her, you know, the different landscapes and, mm-hmm. um, you know, hiking and, and taking trips to go look at different areas of the world or something where people live differently, where, you know, she can just be exposed to different cultures and different ways of life. Yeah. And, you know, we, we like camping and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, you know, although like you said on the last episode, she loves hotels because of our two year journey to <laughs> but, finding but a property. But she loves camping too. So yeah. if I wonder what she would choose if you gave her. Well, you, the weird thing about camping for us is this, we went camping a couple months ago, you know, for your birthday. And we were walking around and, you know, she, she and I knew we're, we're in the woods harvesting mushroom. Well, you know, we found some chicken of the woods um, all growing on a stump and we're harvesting that. And we're looking around at all the other people. And the campground, uh, it was a national park. I mean, but it, but it looks a lot like 
where we live. Yeah. I mean, we're surrounded by woods and we take her out in the woods every day and we harvest stuff here all the time. And we're always taking acorns or nuts or twigs or sticks or bark and we're making things and doing things or whatever. And I was trying to explain to her that the other people who were there, they don't usually get to do this. This is like a real big deal for them. This is like a real big vacation because they live in the city. And I wasn't able to get her to understand what it could possibly be like to live in a city. Because the only time she's been to a city is if we drive in a car near one. I mean, if we go to any town, the smallest town that has a McDonald's, she goes, we're in the city. <laughs> and I go, no, man, <laughs> this is just a little town with a McDonald's or whatever. So she has no idea. I know. The only thing different about camping for her is that we aren't like sleeping in separate bedrooms and, you know, she can stay up late by the campfire. <laughs> that's really all that's different. Right, right, right. And if we make a campfire at home, I mean, it's like, that's, that's, you know, that's not unusual. So, you know, again, the objective for us was to live as freely as possible. Those are some of the things we mean by being freely but, you know, we have this other objective, which is more aligned with what you think of for homesteading, which is to be as independent and sustainable as much as possible. Yeah. And so for us, that means, you know, we want to grow all of our own vegetables and most of our own fruit, which is what we're used to doing, um, growing uh, or butchering or hunting all of our own meat. Um, we haven't bought meat from the grocery store in, gosh, I don't even know how long. A decade. Yeah, and so we need to be although, able to Although we should that. clarify that, just so people don't think that we're total hypocrites. I mean, there's things that I do buy. Like, I'll buy charcuterie sometimes. And um, is there anything else? I mean, I guess, uh, well, fish. Yeah, sometimes we'll buy fish. But, um, yeah, but, you know, we have come to rely on producing all of our own food. And it's just there when we want it. And we have, like, a huge backup, you know, whenever we need it. And so we really want to continue doing that. I don't, I can't see us ever wanting to give that up. No, no way. And the same with dairy and eggs. Um, you know, we have to have our own milk cow. <laughs> Any other milk just tastes strange to us, I don't yeah. know. And having our own layers for eggs. Although, you know, for, for months, you know, in setting up the homestead, we haven't had our milk cow. You know, you can, we wanted to be able to buy raw milk from someone else. And you can pretty much do that in any state, whether the laws are that you can legally buy raw milk or whether you've got to participate in a herd share, you know, you can do that. So we did that. For, we've done that for a period of time. But then again, you know, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, later that we broke down and we've got our cows, you know, we're going to be milking in a couple of months. So um, and that's not just because we want our own milk, but it's also because we want to teach that skill and make that part of our life. I mean, if you're going to set up your homestead where you can spend all your time together, what's wrong with taking a half hour in the morning and going out and milking a cow? And that goes into another objective of ours is to be able to teach our daughter about animal husbandry and homesteading. And, you know, we want her to know um, all of the lessons that you learn right. in a farm setting, not just about how to take care of yourself, but how to take care of animals and how to take care of the land. And you learn lessons like, you know, birth and death and, you know, things that could normally be big issues for parents to talk to their kids about. But when you grow up on a farm, you just see that happening. Yeah, that's the reason I got the animals, because when she comes to me and says, Daddy, where do babies come from? I'm going to say, go look at the bull. Watch what he does. Go look at the go look at the pigs. You see what they're doing there? But now we don't do it that way. But I'm just saying, go watch that. Isn't it funny, though, to hear her talk <laughs> like, you know, people will sometimes ask her like, oh, so how are your chickens or whatever? You know, if she hasn't seen them in a while and she'll be like, oh, we ate them. Yeah, we ate them. <laughs> Mighty tasty. <laughs> and it's just nothing to her, you know, and that the person she may be talking to, their jaw drops and they're like, oh, okay, sorry. And but isn't to that, her, she's just like, no, that's just what you do. <laughs> isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season.
Bird season. Wabbit season. Duck season. Fire. Well, I sure think so. <laughs> it is for us. But you know, um, most people, I mean, you know how we used to have classes and we would teach people and let them butcher their own chicken or whatever. And everybody, you, you don't watch what they're doing with their hands. You watch their face and you see that grimace and everything. And it's such a, an emotional gut wrenching experience for people as it should be. I mean, you're taking a life and every show you watch on Alaska and everybody else, they all say this really affects me deeply and blah, blah, blah. We all know that. I mean, anybody who raises animals and eats meat, uh, that they take responsibility for. We, we all feel that way, but you know, we don't need to make apologies for it. I think that we want to let our daughter know that this is where your protein comes from. If you're eating a fish or if you're eating uh, beef, that's where it comes from. So she needs to understand that life cycle. And one of the biggest things, because I mean, we had never done that before we started farming either. And one of the biggest things for me to get used to was the safety issues. You know, I couldn't get over the fact is of, you know, but how do you know that this food is safe to eat? You know, I was so used to relying on having some agency tell me that this is USDA inspected and therefore it's safe for you to eat that I didn't even know how to make sure that food that I produced was clean and healthy. I know. And everyone is like that now, right? You know, um, I was talking to your mother recently. She's like afraid to pressure can, you know, because everybody's got this vision from a hundred years ago that pressure canners are going to explode. So you can't pressure can food. You can't make your own soap. Uh, you can't do anything. And it just if, makes you completely dependent on someone else or some other agency to inspect and tell you that, okay, now it's safe. Now it's okay for you. And what we've come to learn is that that's actually the opposite of reality, because when things are big like that, that's when they slip through the cracks or that's when, right. you know, problems arise. But if it's a chicken that you have raised out in your own grass, you know what, it, what it's eaten, you know, uh, you know how it's lived and then you process it and know how clean of an environment you made when you were processing what you did to handle the meat after, um, you know, how fast you cooled it, uh, if you pressure canned it, the steps that you took for sanitization or whatever, you know all of that stuff. So you know whether it's safe or not. Yeah, boom. I mean, you hit it. The word you said was dependent, and that's exactly what our society is. We're all dependent on others for something. And look, there's nothing wrong with being dependent. You don't have to be one of these people that's so independent they can go out in the woods with a toothpick and survive and kill a buffalo. You know, we don't have <laughs> the to be... The toothpick? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know how the shows make people out to be bigger than life and stuff, and it's just not real. But you don't have to go the other way either, which is I am going to rely on other people for everything. Someone is going to heat me. Someone's going to deliver electricity or energy. Someone's going to deliver my food. It's going to be nutritious. Somebody's going to cook it for me. You know... You know, you, you know, it's, I think the lifestyle that we have is about embracing some of those skills and having some of those skills. Now, if you want to then um, have the luxury of saying, OK, I know how to do those things, but I'm going to let someone else do that for me. That's fine. That's what we do when we go out to eat at a restaurant. Yeah, but I just don't want these skills to be foreign to her. So right. now she's able to live the life that, uh, you know, we want her to live and just kind of learn this stuff just the way that any other kid learns how to ride a bike. Yep. We're going to so we're going to show her what it's like to live and be able to take care of yourself. We, you know, you start with things like gardening and food, but it becomes it evolves into all aspects of your life. It will be later how to create your own job as we teach her here how to be an entrepreneur because we're homeschooling her. And there's no reason why she can't start a business at a young age if she wants to. And then, you know, we teach self-defense. I mean, she's four years old, but we had her out shooting her own gun last week for the first time. I know. That was fun. Yeah, she liked that. Got a little <laughs> 22 that she goes out there and pops with a few times. So, you know, we were very careful with her and teaching her about the skills to handle that kind of tool. And that's the kind of thing you can do in this kind of environment. But 
other things that we wanted to do on our homestead, I mean, I, I know that you've got a big passion for bees, so we wanted to have bees as well. Yeah, I, I absolutely have to have bees around um, just because I love them and I find them so interesting. But I also love the things that they provide for us, the wax and the honey and the pollination. I mean, you can't have a very successful garden and fruit trees and you know, great pasture grasses and all of this kind of stuff that we find so valuable, unless if you've got some really good pollinators out there. And this past year, we um, did not have bees, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but we noticed such a dramatic difference in the lack of pollination than mm. what we're used to. Yeah. And for those of you people who, who think that maybe you don't want to have bees or you're intimidated, just understand that Liz was just like you. I got into bees years ago, took a commercial beekeeping course, and Liz wanted nothing to do with it. And like a year later, she fired me, took over all the bees, which is a good thing because I get in there kind of rough with the bees and I'm moving fast and everything and the bees are stinging me everywhere. You know, and Liz is very meticulous, and plus she can see. <laughs> so I, I can't even see the, if the queen's on there hardly, and you can do it much better. But you kind of fell in love with the whole process of beekeeping. I really did, yeah. I really thought, you know, I have a thing about bugs. I, you know, don't really care for them. <laughs> as long as they're out in their environment and don't come in mine, then we can live peacefully together. Yeah. But, um, you know, when you got the bees, I thought it was going to be your thing, and maybe I would reap the rewards of some honey every now and then. But, um, you know, we just do things together, yeah. you and I. And so I started, okay, I guess I'll start listening to him when he talks about bees. I guess I'll read a book about them or whatever. Yes, I'll go out with them every now and then and see what's going on in the hives. And I just became fascinated by them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another thing we wanted to do on our homestead was we wanted to have more opportunity to use materials for from the land for building. Now, we certainly had this opportunity before where we lived, but... But um, we were in such a hurry but we never to build could. everything, yeah. you know, to get the business up and going, to get things ready for customers and all that we didn't have time to say, all right, let's go cut down some trees and saw the lumber and build a building. Instead, we had to rely on, all right, let's throw up a metal building or whatever we needed to get things done right then when we needed them done. And that relates to the freedom to have the time, you know, but we also wanted to make sure we had the materials here so that when we did have the time, we could build things. So... Beyond that, I guess the last thing um, that you're really passionate about was you wanted the ability to both grow and produce as much of our own medicine as possible. Yeah, and that includes having our medicinal garden, but also having resources around just growing native that we can use. Um, you know, we did find other places that, that we liked, um, but like remember the one that was... Um, all, it was in the woods and it was beautiful. It felt completely private, but there was like no vegetation growing around in mm. the woods, you know, because there was such a thick canopy of trees. Nothing really grew underneath them. It was just like yeah. feet of like dried leaves, you know, but um, we want to be able to go around and find whatever is growing near the stream or, you know, in a wild meadow or whatever and know the plants around us and bring them home and use them to help keep us healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So recapping, you know, this section of what our overall objectives were for our homestead. We wanted to live as freely as possible. We wanted to be independent and sustainable as much as possible. We wanted to teach our daughter about <laughs> the birds and the bees and about, you know, how life works. We wanted to provide pollination for our land and collect honey and wax from bees. We wanted to be able to use the building materials from the land and grow and produce as much of our own medicine as possible. But there was one other criterion that we talked a little bit about last time that was really important, and that related to achieving and maintaining privacy in our lives. And 
I didn't think this was such a big discussion point, uh, but we got a call in that I'm going to share uh, with our listeners in a second. And then let's talk about what privacy means to us. Hey guys, uh, Kobe here. Um, it was a fantastic podcast. I thought you guys might be living somewhere else. I think it's at Kentucky on the bottom of one of your um, self-sufficient things. Anyways, um, I don't know that I'd want to put myself out there like you guys have. And yet I have a small business, Kobe'sPestControl.com. But still, um, gosh, your privacy is so important. Anyways, just I want to say thank you very much for, for sharing and thank you for all that you do. Thank you very much for the call and for listeners out there. Um, if you're not sure how to do that, just go to the website, TheSelfSufficientLife.com. On the right side, you'll see a message that says, leave Tim a voicemail. And all you have to do is click that and you can talk into your computer. And uh, I've got a number of messages in the last week or so from the last podcast that uh, we're just going to talk about Kobe's on this podcast. And then we'll talk about some of the others on upcoming podcasts. Um, well, I'm happy to see that there's someone else who understands what we mean when we say we value privacy instead of thinking that we're like, I don't know, building a meth lab out here or something. <laughs> well, there's probably other people who who know what we mean too, but they're not going to call in because they value their privacy. <laughs> Kobe just called in and it's like, ah, I revealed myself. But, um, you know, it's we don't talk about this obviously very much because we want to have privacy. So why would you talk about privacy? But I think that this is a good conversation for people because one of the things that we thought about for a couple of years is if we move, we want to achieve more privacy. Now, I know we talked in the last episode about, you know, things like people drove up to our house because we had a farm and stuff like that. Well, that's one element of privacy that you can simply get away from by not farming anymore. But let's talk about why privacy is important to us. What I'm talking about is things like this. Let's say that you and our daughter are driving down the road or whatever in your car, and there's some idiot, you know, behind you that's, you know, a, a road rage incident or whatever. All, that all they got to do is look at your license plate and say, all right, I'm going to look them up and go to their house or whatever. I mean, that's just one example, which, you know, and don't tell me these things like those things don't happen. Have, do I know anyone that that's happened to? No. But I watch the news. I see all the things that happen all the time. And so the goal is, can you have, can you achieve privacy in your life so that people, it's not easy for people to find you and so that you have some control over who you allow to know where you live. And, you know, what we're talking about is simply keeping our private life private. We're not at all talking about things like avoiding taxes. You're not talking about even asset protection, although it helps with asset protection protection if you, um, if you have a private life. But there's very different tools for doing that. That's not the kind of stuff we're talking about. We're talking about having control over keeping our private life private. And, you know, one of the reasons why I know that and do that, Liz, is because over the years, I get the chance to, you know, interact with a lot of people who will email me when we were selling our house, for example, or if you're selling something on Craigslist or whatever. And every time they do give me their email address or their name, I just research them. No matter who it is or whatever the reason is, I will research them. And it is so easy. If they give me a cell phone number, I research them. And sure enough, it will link to post they did on Craigslist somewhere or somewhere else. And you start to create, you know, this kind of information. Now, the, the only reason I do that kind of stuff is, A, I want to know who I might be interacting with, if there's something I should know about them. Or B, if it's a sales situation where, you know, when we were selling our house, our farm, I would research someone and find out, 
ah, they practice yoga or they do this kind of thing or whatever. So it would give me something conversational to talk about. So there's no malicious intent or danger there. But the point I'm making is it's very easy to go beyond Google and do things to find out about people. And on the flip side, um, I didn't want it to be easy for people to find out about you or me or our daughter. Yeah, I think um, I always thought you were a little bit paranoid and, you know, I don't know why this is such a big deal. Yeah, I want privacy. Like, I don't want someone just walking up to my front porch or whatever. But, you know, I didn't understand all of the real reasons why you wanted to be so protective until I became a parent. Mm. And then, I mean, it's my job to protect her. It's the most important thing that I can do. And to see how kids nowadays, they're on Facebook or whatever, you know, and they're putting everything out there and you know like you said we watch the news we hear the stories of horrible things that happen and um you know we want to be able to model for her and to teach her how you can keep your private life life private so that you can protect yourself without being like um you know someone who has to hide from everyone or be completely secretive or lie or anything you know it's not about that it's just about thinking about your surroundings and you know potential things that could happen we take that um, that idea to all aspects of our life, the right. same way that, you know, we think about how, well, what if a hurricane came and the electricity went out? Do we have all of the preps that we need in order to protect ourselves? It's the same exact thing. You just have to think about what could happen and what kind of information do you want to be out there and do you want to reveal in order to keep yourself safe? Right. Well, I think it's totally okay to lie and the teacher that it's okay to lie. And in a few minutes, um, we'll go through the, what I use as my definition of what a lie is. Because I think people think, you know, a lie is when you're not telling the truth. And I don't, that is not what I accept as a definition of lying. So, you know, we talked about, you know, why we want to achieve some level of privacy. Um, but the first rule of privacy that I think of, um, and this is why we could never achieve it where we were before, uh, because we started thinking about this after we lived there. The first rule of privacy is to separate your name from your residence so that, you know, there is no connection anywhere with your real name and your residence. And that and we talk about how strange that is because, you know, <laughs> you used to grow up, you put your name on your mailbox and right. you're so proud that this right. is my house and this is where I live and the neighbors know each other and that's where the Joneses live or whatever, you know. And now, gosh, that's something we don't even want to have a mailbox out there. <laughs> it's a bizarre concept. I mean, and I, I am ambivalent and having wars with myself all the time because I grew up, you know, to a very traditional way where – Everybody knows you. That is your name on your mailbox. Uh, the property records show your name. Um, so, of course, you know, that's what my thinking is, my background is. But today, no, I would never, you know, I wouldn't have the property records show my name. You know, you're never going to be able to search for property records under my name or your name and find that we own a property. That means that you form an LLC um, and you form it in whatever jurisdiction you want to. And that takes title to your property. Now, well, you say that like that's so easy. It's, you it's just well, first of all, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard, but not it's, it's easy to start an LLC in the right jurisdiction. It's hard because you need to pay cash for properties um, and pay cash for your car or your vehicle, whatever you have, and let an LLC take ownership of that. And, you know, that's the same issue you have to get comfortable with if you ever go down the asset protection route. If people, when people do that, they have to get comfortable in the difference between owning something and controlling something. When you own something so, that's in your name, when you control something, you control the LLC, but your name isn't necessarily visible. Asset protection, too, for me, I didn't understand when we first started talking about this. I didn't understand what you meant. So why don't you explain that a little well, bit? Well, let's say that let's say that you um, you know have a business or have a house, and your house is paid for, 
and it's under your name, Joe Smith. Um, great. So you own that house and there's a clear record that you have ownership of that house. Now you go out and you have a car accident. Someone sues you for your assets. Well, what assets do you have? You have that house. Now imagine that you didn't have that house. Imagine that um, a, a, an asset protection attorney had set up um, an LLC in the right jurisdiction that owned that house and that was in a trust and you gave up control of that trust. Um, but you still had the ability to live there and have that asset. So you don't own that asset. No one can take that away from you. And I'm not going to say anything more about that here because I'm not an attorney to talk about that, but there are, are many good asset protection attorneys that can show you how to set up um, the right kind of trust where you can um, put your assets in that trust and you don't own them, but you may have some degree of um, usage or control over them. So it sounds counterintuitive, but really by giving up ownership, you're gaining more control. Well, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I'd say it that way. Um, by giving up ownership, you have nothing to lose is what I'd say. So, but in the, in the, in the context of this discussion, that's not what our point was. Um, because you can just form an LLC to take uh, ownership of your home and have take title to your home. But if the operating agreement lists you in that LLC, then you're not, your assets are not protected. So if somebody sues you and they're going to say, well, where do you live? And you live in this location. Well, unless, you know, and the court says, well, we're going to find out and subpoena that LLC and see who owns that. And it's going to see, be you, your assets aren't protected. So my goal in having this conversation um, for this call in wasn't to say, here's asset protection strategy. By all means, go find an asset protection attorney if you want to do that. It was about how do you achieve privacy? And what I'm saying is you're not going to achieve privacy if it says, you know, Joe Smith owns this property. Anybody can look that up on a property record. It's easy to search for any county in the U.S. and just search, you know, uh, Elbert County, Georgia, GIS or whatever, and then you can go look up somebody's property records. So you don't want to have your name on your property records, right. but um, it's more than that. Also, you don't want to have your name on your driver's license or on deliveries that are brought to the house. Well, you so. got to have your name on your driver's license. I, yeah. You mean you, you don't <laughs> want to have your, you, you, ideally your you don't want to have your address, your, your residence on your driver's license. And this is tricky and hard to do. Now, there are a lot of states where they don't put, you know, they give you the option of putting your mailing address on your driver's license, which can be a PO box, which is cool. But you still got to take in uh, your physical address to get your driver's license. If you, if you, now, if you live in, um, I don't know if you live in, if you move in the state that you live, um, like in our case before, we live in Georgia, moved to Georgia, it's not a big deal. Uh, you just keep your old driver's license and, you know, you fail to go in after 30 days and report a move or whatever. I mean, it's, you forget or whatever. Uh, but if you move to a new state, then you have to rent a place short term to have an address, use that to get your driver's license before you move into your new house. And you got to play all kinds of games and stuff like that. But you definitely don't ever want to have any delivery come to your house under your name. You don't, if you order from Amazon or you order, you know, if you get some kind of, um, you know, FedEx delivery or whatever, you want that to come under the name of the LLC or some other name that you make up. I mean, you're not really, you know, deceiving anyone, trying to hurt anybody by giving them, you know, a false name there. You just don't want to connect your name to the property. And where it becomes really hard when you buy a new house, like we did, is you're setting up utilities. You're setting up DirecTV and you're setting up a dish network or you're setting up a phone company or electric utilities. And they always ask you for your social security number so they can do credit checks and all this kind of stuff. It's amazing how much information they ask. I mean, why do you need to know um, 
you know, my mother's maiden name right. just in order to bring electricity to my house. <laughs> and a lot of times what they want is they don't want to do credit checks to make sure you're going to pay. So the way around that is say, no, we're not going to give you that information, um, but we'll give you a deposit. You know, it may be a thousand dollar deposit or whatever, because it, what you're basically saying to the electric company is, look, I'll pay you a one or two month deposit or whatever. There's no way you have a risk. You know, if we don't pay a bill, shut us off. Same with your other utilities, and they'll accept that in almost all cases. So there's ways around it. But one of the things that they you— They might accept it in all cases, but you had to have a number of difficult conversations yes. in order to do that. And that's because one... most people, when you would say it, they'd never heard anyone ask that before. <laughs> you know, everybody just gives me the Social Security number when I ask for it. Why don't you want to? Well, you they've know? heard people ask it before, but they don't hear people asking it for the reason that we're asking it. The people who are asking it, they've got something to hide. And it's like, well, no, we're trying to protect our privacy. And so what I was trying to say is this is one of the things that it's a little infuriating, but it, it motivates you more to go down this path once you start going down a, a path of privacy. The reason it motivates you is because it is so flipping hard in this country to protect your privacy. So we are going in a direction that, yeah, okay, in the old days, could, you know, did everybody have their name on the mailbox? Sure. But could you? have a level of privacy and live in the woods if you wanted to? Sure. Can you today? Oh, no. Everything is electronic. Everything is digital. Everything is online and accessible and researchable. And it's very hard to have a level of privacy. And everything is connected. So if you make a mistake in one area and you let a little bit of your privacy leak out, everything's connected. It right. ruins it completely. Right. And so you have to be and this was really hard for you. <laughs> you know, it was really... It still is. It, it, <laughs> I still don't understand it. And I'm still uncomfortable with it. <laughs> it was easier for me to think about, okay, what is what are we trying to do? But the, the rule of thumb is do not connect your name, your real name, with your real residence. If you, if you can just achieve that, you know, then you're pretty much there. Now, there are many things that we wanted to do in our process. So one thing was, if we knew we were going to move anyway, okay, set up LLCs, set them up out of a state, out of state of where we're going to live and have that take a title, not ownership, but title to the new property. Now, what about mail? Well, before you move, if you have an idea where you're going to move to, set up a P.O. box. So let's say that you live in Georgia like we did, and we we're going to move to Alaska. Okay, great. So we decide we're going to move to Alaska. But before we move, uh, go to Alaska or whatever, set up a P.O. box using your real IDs from where you were before. So now you haven't falsified. You've you, you've, uh, you've truthfully told USPS, you know, your forms of identification of where you were, set up your P.O. box, and that's where you'll get mail before, and that won't be in any way connected to, um, to where you really live. And, of course, don't give any forwarding address. So when we just move, we just move. There is no forwarding address. There's no record of, you know, where you move to. And, you know, the same thing with a bank account, because the bank accounts are hard. You're not going to open a bank account in the United States, period, without a Social Security number. You might think you can do this with your business or whatever, but your business is linked to your social security number. So there's no way around that. You're going to have that. So either have a bank before you move that's, you know, larger if you want, and you still take that uh, credit card, that debit card, that bank account, your online banking, wherever you go, or before you move, keep your prior um, address, your prior driver's license and everything. Go to your new state if you're going to move out of state and set up a bank before you go and then give them the P.O. box that you've also set up as your mailing address. So the bank doesn't have any, they have a record of who you are, but they do not have a record of your residence. You following me? Kind of. <laughs> I still have to ask you every time, what's our address? <laughs> right, right. Okay, this P.O. box, right? <laughs> well, and of course, what you're describing is what the hardest thing is about 
doing this. It's talking to your family. It's telling them that when you move, you can never, don't ever mail. If you mail something to our house, if it's a package, it has to go to this person's name because this is the name that we use to receive mail. So the, there's no doubt that the postal carrier think our name is something else because we've never received names, uh, mail here or any packages under our real name. It comes under another name. But you just tell your family, use this P.O. box. And since all of our family are I old because school. my mother said, there is no way I'm sending someone <laughs> to someone that I don't know. That's not your name. I'm right, not <laughs> right, 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 right. You hear that, Mom? We know you're listening to this. So get with the program. So, you know, but we're doing this to protect our daughter. We do this to protect ourselves. And, you know, a lot of this when you're talking to family gets into what are you lying? What is a lie? I mean, for example, imagine my daughter hears me, you know, talking to someone. They say, you know, what's your address? And I give them an alternate address. And she comes later, you know, Daddy, did you just tell a lie? And look, you know, you can think if you want simplistically that a lie is, you know, not telling the truth. You know, remember that if you believe that next time you talk about Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Because we all have places we draw the line. To me, a lie is when you're trying to cause someone harm. You're trying to deceive them in such a way that you're causing harm. So for that reason, of course, we would always tell the 100% truth to a law authority uh, if we're under oath, if I'm talking to the IRS, um, any of those kind of things, real address, real information, regardless of how it's titled, you know, there's no lies. But, you know, come on, somebody, you know, Facebook asks you what your birthday is, please, you think they get the real, you know, birthday? Or, you know, to Kobe's question a second ago, he said, hey, I see on some of your emails you've got a Kentucky address. Really, Kobe? You think that's our address? No. no none of the uh, email providers check that stuff, so you put in an address. I used to change that once a month. And that's the whole point is to not use your real identity. That makes sense to you? It does, but it, I still always find myself getting caught, you know, um, because it's just – I guess just the way that I was raised, you know, if someone asks you a direct question, you give them a direct and honest answer, you know, and I understand what you mean about how it's not a lie. I don't feel like I'm lying to, you know, a checkout person in Walmart when they ask me a zip code and I make up some numbers or something, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't, I know that's not truthful, but I don't feel like I'm hurting anyone, but I just don't know yet. Um, I'm afraid to to make a mistake that if I, you know, I don't think fast enough on my feet that if someone asks me for my address, well, do I really need to give it to them? And which address do I give? You know, right. so I have to get comfortable with the idea of, um, you know, is this really important? Do they really need to know this? Well, I know what you mean about being afraid to make a mistake, but I think that, you know, j just try to remember, keep your real physical residential address separate from your name. And... If somebody asks you a question, you're not sure how to answer it, just pause. I mean, yeah, we all feel stupid when they ask you your birthday. And uh, uh, <laughs> But listen, I never give out my real birthday, ever, because they don't need to know it. And sometimes you go into a doctor's office or whatever, and they ask you date of birth or whatever, fine. I've got a birthday that I make up that's close enough. I mean, I look like that age or whatever that I always use. And I, just like you've got to learn your passwords, I've learned, okay, here's what my other birthday is. The birthday I wish I had, you know, or yeah, maybe. You have a good memory, so it's easier for you. <laughs> I See, I, I totally get it. You're totally right. I can, I understand people are listening to this and I know that they think that you're smart for thinking the way you think and I'm a nut for thinking this way. But, you know, it's, it's all about trying to protect your privacy and protect your family. It's not about deceit. And so you have to learn some of these things. And, I guess all I'm trying to say is that one of our goals in and when we if we were going to move from our farm life to a homestead, 
why not at the same time try our best to achieve a more private life? And that's all we're trying to do. All right, you think we've beat that horse silly? So, so, you know, we found a place um, that works and we're making it exactly how we want it as we go. And um, we've done our best to achieve some privacy. And, you know, it's probably not perfect. It's not like no one can ever find out anything about us, but we feel better about about that area. Um, And so, you know, we've got a lot of work to do on the homestead and a lot of things that we have been doing. And so I think we're going to talk about that next time. right? Yeah, we've done just so much building in the past few months, I'm just, my hands are tired and I want to take a break and, <laughs> you know, we're setting up animals and we decided what we want to have. So, you know, upcoming episodes, we'll talk about that. And we've got another couple of call-ins that happen, like I said, this week as well, that relate to things that, um, you know, are as part of how we set it up and how other people want to set it up. So we'll, we'll factor those in as well. Um, but yeah, it's a you know good show and I'm looking forward to seeing you next time. <laughs> I have to wait until then. <laughs> yeah. And, until then, go out in the woods and harvest something. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Liz and I sharing our self-sufficient life. Perhaps it will give you some ideas and inspiration as you look for ways to become more self-sufficient wherever you are. As always, the show notes from this episode are available on my website, theselfsufficientlife.com. Please subscribe to the Self-Sufficient Life podcast on iTunes or elsewhere. And please take a second right now to leave a review. It helps with the rankings and allows others to learn about a self-sufficient life. Now, until next week, I hope we've given you some ideas on how you can begin your process of opting out. And in the spirit of the holiday season, our daughter has something to share with you. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. If you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. Poor Rudolph couldn't join in any reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you come my sleigh tonight? Then old reindeer loved him. As they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the Reynolds Radio wanted to go down in his glee. Alarm wakes me up and I'm right out the door. We're fighting traffic in a car that I'm still paying for. A cup of coffee, four dollars gone. They stick me in a cubicle. And now I'm somebody's pawn The concrete jungles all around me There's gotta be a better way I'm sick and tired of staring at a screen all day While strangers teach and watch my children play I'm sick and tired of stressing over which bills to pay Not gonna live my life that way
They hand me a paycheck so I can pay all I owe. Kids wanna play, but I always gotta go.